What we are doing right now in Hungary is that we try to fight back in a political way. So we are saying that we are proud conservatives, Christians, nationalists in a positive way, but we welcome everybody. And we are uh, creating an alternative inside the Western Hemisphere. Meanwhile, we are economically successful. We are a threat for them. And that's why they have to do everything to destroy us politically, to blackmail us, to portray us as as an evil figure. And that's the reason why they are so hostile towards the Hungarian government, although we are loyal members of the international community. Hello, welcome back to the Brendan O'Neill Show with me, Brendan O'Neill, and my special guest this week, Balash Orban. Balash, welcome to the show. Hello, Brendan. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great privilege. It's great to have you on, and there is a lot of stuff I want to ask you about, primarily, of course, about Hungary and how Hungary is viewed around the world. You, of course, are political director to Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary. He's been the Prime Minister of Hungary since 2010, having previously been the Prime Minister in the late 1990s as well. And we're speaking in the year in which Viktor Orban and his party, Fidesz, won their fourth consecutive term in the parliamentary elections in April with an incredible turnout of of voters. I think you you guys got around 54% of the vote, which I believe is one of the highest votes a party has received in Hungary since the fall of communism in 1989. So I want to start with a broad question before we dig down into various issues. The broad question is, what do you think it is about Viktor Orban and Fidesz that is continually drawing voters back to him, back to his vision and back to that party? Well, that's the most uh, interesting and probably the most complicated question. Uh, <laughs> but but I try to find for you and for the audience a short answer. Mm. Hungary is a is a very very special country. It's in the middle of Europe, but culturally it's an island. Mm. So we have uh, we have a unique uh, language, a unique uh, culture. A very special history. We are not chauvinist in the sense that we are saying that we are better than others, but it's just the fact that we are different from others mm-hmm. and we don't think it is a problem. <laughs> it's part of our national heritage and history and we are proud of that. And uh, during this long history of the country, the purpose of being Hungarian, I would say the national goal was always to defend this culture, to preserve the country and to secure the future of it. Uh, That there will be (laughs) in the next generations also Hungarians who are proud, Mm. um, who are uh, ready to to fight and work and live uh, for the prosperity of uh, this part of the world. And, um, And in the 20th century, um, we were not, honestly, we were not very successful in that job. Mm. We lost uh, two times world wars. Uh, we were occupied by, first by the Habsburgs, the Austrians, then by the Nazis, and then by the communists. And after the transition period, everybody was thinking that we regained our freedom. We joined to the political group where we always belonged, like the community of European Countries be, became a proud member of the transatlantic uh, cooperation. And then this is the end, as it was said by Francis Fukuyama, end yeah. of history arrived and prosperity will emerge and so on and so on. But then uh, Hungarian people realized that uh, although they regained their freedom, they still have to fight uh, for the economic uh, prosperity. They still need a government which protects them new challenges are emerging, uh, migration waves, new type of ideologies are coming up, which are probably not good for um, this country. And um, and international politics is not so idealistic as, as it looks like. So you need to be strong, confident to reach something. Mm. And, uh, and I think that's the reason why after 20 years of transition period and after the collapse of the post-communist 
uh, neoliberal government, which uh, economically and ideologically open door policy uh, technically ruined the country. The Hungarians in 2010 made the decision with the overwhelming majority that they are looking for an alternative, which should be Hungarian, which should be nationalistic in a positive uh, way, which should be with the political group should somehow refer to the to the Christian heritage of that uh, country. And they are looking for not ideologic leaders, but leaders who are ready to fight even on the international stage. Mm-hmm or uh, the interest of the country. And Prime Minister Orban is exactly this type of, uh, of leader. And th- I think that's the main reason why elections after elections, they 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 secure uh, the voters, they, they still secure their support behind Fidesz and behind Viktor Orban's government. That, that's a very useful overview and a very nice uh, potted modern history of, of Hungary. And that's very useful as a, a jumping off point for some of the questions that I want to ask you. And th- the first one I want to ask you is, um, for me as an outside observer of Hungary and how the world relates to Hungary, one of the most extraordinary things, and you'll be well aware of this, is that in Western liberal circles, particularly in the Western liberal media, um, Hungary under Viktor Orban is frequently referred to as a, a dictatorship, uh, an autocracy. So, you know, in the European Parliament, for example, just last month in, in September, uh, a resolution was agreed on which described Hungary as an electoral autocracy, which strikes me as something of a contradiction in terms. Um, also in September, the New York a writer for the New York Times referred to um, Hungary as a soft autocracy. Uh, I didn't know autocracies could be particularly soft, but there you go. And you know, if I go to, if I mix in any media circles in the UK, in London, if Hungary were to come up, that is what people would say. It's become this kind of unthinking response that lots of people have when they hear the word Hungary and that when they hear the words Viktor Orban in particular. How do you explain that? Because it's perplexing, I think, for lots of observers, because we can see that Hungary has uh, free and fair elections and that Viktor Orban is freely and fairly elected. And yet it is frequently talked about as a kind of modern day dictatorship. What do you think drives that kind of view of Hungary? Yes, I agree with you that in a liberal circles, this is uh, this is the case. But I don't know who is still taking uh, these accusations uh, seriously because they are doing the same with everybody who is not coming from these kind of liberal circles. So so if it's only Hungary, then you can say uh, from your country that, oh, that's probably really suspicious. But then you realize that the same happening with the, the Republicans in America, with Trump, mm. same happening with the Brexiter voters in, in UK, the same happening in Israel when when Benjamin Netanyahu is close to regain the power. Same happening with the Italian conservatives. So so it seems that there is a there is a trend that if somebody is coming not from the liberal circles but but representing something else, an alternative, mm. then he or she <laughs> ends up uh, being autocrat or dictator or or whatever. And why is that so? I think that um, before uh, the end of the Cold War uh, in the Western um, society, uh, liberals and conservatives, they formed an anti-communist alliance. Uh, There was an anti-communist alliance in the West. Uh, We're talking about the 80s and even the 70s, where they worked together and they, everybody knew that they are different. So the liberal way of life and way of thinking, it's obviously it was always different from the conservative way of life and way of thinking. Um, I'm using the term liberal, not in a classical sense, but in, in a progressive yeah. liberal um, yeah, sense. Uh, but the main target for everybody was uh, to beat uh, the communist um, in the Soviet Union and for us here in Central Europe is uh, in our country uh, to kick them out. But then something happened. We achieved our goals. The communists were not uh, uh, anymore uh, there. They were not uh, posing any threats. Uh, And then the liberals 
especially the progressive ones, they realize that there is a new kind of political fight where uh, where there is not any more unity under the anti-communist umbrella, but then it's a new uh, balance or a new war, cultural war, which should be uh, against the conservatives. And they started this mm. fight and they used institutions like media institutions, NGOs, even the state to push their ideological agenda forward. And they occupy these institutions. That's why they are dictating in the area of, of culture. And they they became somehow similar to, to the Marxist because uh, their ideas, the progressive liberal ideology is very hegemonical. So for them, it's mm. not the competition of ideas is important. Not pluralism, not free debate is important, but they want to spread their view and they want everybody to share their own views. And if somebody is speaking out, then it means that uh, it should be politically destroyed. And the conservatives were just um, somehow left behind. They lost places and even also the classical liberals. They also somehow were left uh, behind. And what we are doing right now in Hungary is that we try to fight back in a political way. So we are saying that uh, we are proud conservatives, Christians, nationalists in a positive way. Uh, but we welcome everybody, the classical liberals as well. And we provide them space. We provide them institutions, support. Uh, the state should be openly involved to fight back against uh, progressive liberal uh, hegemony. And, um, and we are uh, creating an alternative inside the Western Hemisphere. Meanwhile, we are economically successful. According to my understanding, it means that we are a threat for them. Yeah. And that's why they have to do everything to destroy us politically, uh, to blackmail us, to portray us as, as an evil figure, which cannot be followed by a adult democracy of the Western world. And that's the reason why uh, they are so hostile towards the Hungarian uh, government, although we are a loyal members of uh, the international community. But the same happening with everybody else, like uh, like in connection with the Ukrainian-Russian uh, war. If somebody is saying that, look, Russia is an aggressor, Ukraine is a victim, we should support them. But the most important priority should be not the continuity of war, but try to gain peace or at least ceasefire. Then you are immediately a Putin puppet. They try to close rational discussion. So then uh, Pope Francis... Henry Kissinger, Jürgen Habermas, Elon Musk, Viktor Orban, uh, Sebastian Kurz, and everybody ends up being yeah. Putin puppet. That's how they want to, you know, destroy and cancel open discussions about the future of the Western civilization. We are thinking in a different way. We should we think that we should open up these uh, discussions in a very frank and honest way. Yeah, I want to talk to you more about that culture war because it is very interesting that there are culture wars within countries and there's a very pronounced culture war in the UK and in other countries in the Anglo-American sphere. Um, but there's also increasingly a globalized culture war where you have Western liberal elites who will look for countries around the world that are not playing by their rules and um, internationalize that culture war mentality. And, and in relation to that, I wanted to ask you how much you think this is related to the issue of sovereignty and to the issue of respecting sovereignty. Because you're right to say that, um, it, you know, even though Hungary is often singled out as the black sheep of Europe, the bad country of Europe, that's how some of the, uh, the political classes in the West will view it. But you're right that they said the same thing about the people who voted for Brexit, who they viewed as borderline fascistic and very stupid and they made the wrong choice. It's what they're saying about um, Maloney in Italy and the people who voted for her. And of course, it's what they said about Trump and the basket of deplorables and the semi-fascists, as Joe Biden recently said, who put Trump into power. And of course, what ties together those different populist movements, those different um, political expressions, is a respect for the ideals of sovereignty, the ideals of national independence, and for borders themselves. Whereas I think uh, the culture warriors 
uh, of the West are anti-borders. They think sovereignty is an old-fashioned problematic idea, primarily because it acts as a block to their global ambitions and their desire to internationalize their political worldview. So do you think partly it's Hungary's uh, sovereigntist worldview under Viktor Orban that makes those sections of Western society bristle so much? Yeah, probably it's um, it's a big part of it. Um, the whole thing started just after 2010 when we got two-third majority, which is in Hungary, a constitutional majority. And uh, after the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union in the 90s, uh, the political elites who were creating the transition period in Hungary, they couldn't reach an agreement to accept or adopt a new constitution. So they modified the previous um, uh, Soviet type of constitution, which was which became from a, from an operational point of view an uh, effective constitution, but it wasn't a Hungarian constitution. So in 2010, we told our voters then this is the time to end the transition period and accept a new Hungarian constitution, which reflects um, on the history, uh, the culture, the socio-cultural background of uh, the country. It is openly expressing the views uh, and the values of the Hungarian society. And it's it's mainly a sovereigntist uh, constitution. And that was the time when the attacks in Brussels uh, started immediately after the elections, 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we changed our law, our media law, and we accepted some some, uh, economic measures, which goals were to protect our strategical industries and and the accusations immediately emerged. But but there was one other agenda. You mentioned the importance of borders, and I agree with you that um, this was a game changer even for Hungary. When in 2015, 400,000 illegal migrants tried to cross illegally without any permission, without cooperating with the Hungarian authorities, tried to cross the borders and and march through. Uh, Hungary, and then we made the decision that if a country is not able to protect its own borders, then it's not a sovereign country anymore. So we need to do something. And we made the decision to establish a fence, which was ready after three or four months. And we stopped the illegal influx of the people. That was the time when the whole international liberal community became really mad about what is mm. going on in yeah. in Hungary although according to our understanding it was a, it was a very rational common sense based uh, um, decision making uh, countries are different so some countries are more open towards immigration like for example United States or United Kingdom is always more open in this sense meanwhile there are countries which are always more uh, uh, close. They are nation states, countries like Japan, Israel, Hungary. So for them, the immigration is, is more like a problem than an opportunity. But there is there should be one common sense based joint approach, uh, which is that we should be able to protect our borders. Mm. And if we are not, then we are not controlling <laughs> the, the inflow of the people, but, but somebody else is controlling us. So and it's unacceptable, even in the 21st century globalized way. And it is also true, and that would be my last point, that we believe in the idea of nation state. Mm. We still believe in that idea. So some scholars or academic people are saying that the idea of nation state was emerged around the 70s, 18th century. So it's a relative new uh, idea and the time is over in the globalized era, is not anymore working. But we think it differently. We think that we always been a nation state for like thousand years. And it's the best platform or a political structure, which is the best for the Hungarians. And what we see right now is that even in the era of globalization, the nation state, the representative government and parliamentary democracy is the only effective form of protecting the interest of citizens. Mm. That was the case in the coronavirus issue when we made the decision that we need vaccines from all over. 
then our state, the Hungarian state, was able to provide um, uh, vaccines. What we see right now in the migration crisis, our state, the Hungarian state, was able to secure the borders and protect uh, the Hungarian citizens. Right now in the war, Hungarian state should play a very important role in uh, providing some support for uh, for the economy and protecting our borders and dealing with the refugees. So, so it's not an outdated issue. The idea of nation-state representative government and parliamentary democracy, but, but rather it's a solution and a good solution for the challenges of the 21st century globalized era. So we try to protect it and we try to represent this opinion on the European level as well. Meanwhile, it is obvious that the Brazilian elites thinks it in a different way. So they they think that we should finally get rid of the idea of nation state. Uh, we should formulate a supranational uh, state based on liberal ideology. And that's the only chance to at least try to compete with the competitors uh, from outside. But 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 according to our understanding, is the most false idea mm. uh, in the last decades emerged. Yeah, uh, and I think um, you know it's not particularly surprising that the Brussels elites would feel that hostility towards the idea of nationhood and towards the thing that nationhood best embodies, which is the uh, representative democracy. But I've always been surprised when I see the Western left um, embrace the idea of the uh, post-borders, post-national world. You know, the left historically was a pretty good defender of uh, nationhood. It supported national liberation struggles that wanted to create their own independent nations. It was very critical of organizations like the IMF and, of course, imperialism more broadly for its interventions into other people's affairs. And yet somehow over the past few decades, the Western left has been sucked into a far more globalized, anti-democratic worldview, which sees borders as a problem and something to be rolled over in order to solve complex problems like climate change, etc. So I think that's an interesting development, I think. I, actually, if I add just one comment, the left is... Uh is everywhere, it's eaten up by the liberals. Mm. So, and this is the case in, uh, in Hungary as well. So the traditional leftist working class voters yeah. are supporting Viktor Orban and Fidesz conservative government. And we are not um, um, dogmatic in, in many sense. So uh, after the inflation uh, rates were going up, we immediately took action and we introduced price cap, price cap on gasoline, price cap on uh, on, on basic uh, foodstuffs. You know, it's not a conservative or a classical liberal economic measure at all. It's mm -hmm. a clear cut social democratic approach to have price cap. But uh, but but we, the Hungarian conservative government, we were saying that. You know, working class people, lower middle class people, they are suffering. It's our job to protect them. So we don't like these uh, measures, what we need to do something. And we introduced it and it works. Uh, so that's the reason why everybody who was originally on the left, on the social democrats uh, side and wasn't eaten up by, by the liberals right now, it's supporting Hungary, Viktor Orban and his government. If you're a regular listener to this show or a regular reader of Spiked, why not become a Spiked supporter? Spiked supporters is our thriving community of people who donate to Spiked. Anyone who gives £5 or more a month or £50 or more a year can become a Spiked supporter and get access to lots of exciting perks. Spiked supporters can comment on articles, get free and discounted tickets to events, get a discount on all items in our shop and bookmark articles as you browse. This is our way of saying thank you to all of you who fund our work. Spiked is completely free and yet you still hand over your hard-earned cash to make sure that anyone, anywhere can read us and listen to us. We're incredibly grateful for your generosity. If you don't give to Spiked yet, now is the perfect time to start. Just go to spiked-online.com slash supporters to set up your donation and your Spike supporters account. That's spiked-online.com slash supporters.
That's one of the most interesting developments of our time, I think, the way in which there has been a great realignment in politics in many parts of the Western world, in Europe and and the United States, where large sections of the working classes who might traditionally have voted for Labour parties are increasingly turning towards parties of the right or parties that are more populist or parties that uh, promote the values of national sovereignty. I think it's a very interesting development. I, I want to ask you about one liberal media attack on Hungary in particular that has happened um, in, in the past few weeks. So um, uh, Farid Sakaria at CNN made an extraordinary film in which he essentially said that Hungary is becoming like uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, In my view, it was an incredibly irresponsible comment to make, not only because it was incorrect about the nature of Hungary, but also, I think, because those kinds of arguments relativize what happened during the Holocaust by comparing it inappropriately to events that happen today. And I think that drains away the seriousness, the unique horrors of that moment in history by turning them into just a political comparison that could be made all the time. Um, But Farid Sakaria made that CNN uh, comment largely off the back of something that Viktor Orban said, which, uh, as you know, caused enormous controversy around the world, where Viktor Orban um, said that Hungary is not a mixed race and we don't want to become a mixed race. That's how it was reported in The Guardian here, and you can tell me if that's incorrect. So on that issue, I just want to ask you two questions. Firstly, what did Viktor Orban mean when he made those comments? And secondly, what did you think about that response from sections of the Western media, which basically said, this is Nazi Germany coming back to life? Yeah, so I think uh, these people who who used to be serious um, journalists and and commentators, and I can remember back in the nineties uh, when I was a when I was a when I was a kid and a university student, I I followed uh, uh, their reports very closely, and through this lens, I was able to understand more the world. But uh, but um, since I don't know, since Trump was elected or since these kind of cultural cold war emerged in the West, they became also part of the liberal propaganda. So they are somehow discrediting um, themselves, even distinguished people like like Farad Zakaria. Prime Minister Orban was uh, what he what he said. It was obviously, it's very obvious from the Hungarian uh, text and cultural uh, context that he was talking about cultural context of being a Hungarian. So uh, the race issue here in Hungary is not an issue at all. Uh, so we are always being a multi-ethnical uh, society we live together with different type of people. Being a Hungarian was never a racial uh, issue. It was always a cultural issue based on your language, based on your cultural identity. If you follow very closely the text and, and understand the, the context, then it's very obvious how he meant this. But, but unfortunately, this is the case. It became part of the polarized international uh, discourse but we were uh, again accused being anti-Semite and then the mm-hmm. Israeli political right side and the Jewish community here in Hungary were saying that it's a, it's a, it's a nonsense idea uh, to accuse Viktor Orban being an anti-Semite because he is the biggest defender of, of, um, of the Jewish community and, and actually Jewish people are fleeing from Western Europe and they are moving to Hungary because they want to have um, a peaceful and uh, safe life, what they can get in um, uh, Budapest and what they cannot get in some of the Western um, capitals. So it's a ridiculous type of uh, accusation, but we are in the middle of a cultural uh, cold war and the left is uh, using everything, all the political weapons to try to put pressure on uh, all those who see the world in a different way. Yeah, I, I've always thought that the um, the Western elite's accusations of anti-Semitism against Hungary are just extraordinary when you consider the very serious problems that some Jewish communities face in, in Western Europe, particularly in France. Also in the UK, um, we had an outburst of the socialism of fools in this country over the past few years. 
and a growing level of hostility towards Jewish community. So there's an extraordinary hypocrisy when that accusation is made, I think, against a country like Hungary. Yeah, and you know, and uh, the fact is uh, that in European politics, the biggest supporter of state Israel right now is Hungary. Mm. Not only in Europe, but in uh, from Europe in the international uh, community. That's the reason why currently we don't have the right-wing government in Israel, but uh, still our connection is wonderful because they see that we are the biggest uh, uh, supporters. Meanwhile, Western countries, they are not anymore supporting Israel. Sometimes they are supporting the political opponents of state Israel. But that's also an internal conflict inside the Jewish community. For us, the Judeo-Christian heritage is very important. We are very proud of that. And I think in the last decades, one of our main goal will be uh, to to protect it. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing I want to ask you about is a bit more about the European Union. I'm very opposed to the European Union. I was, my vote for Brexit, I consider to be the most important vote I've ever cast in my life and probably will be the most important vote I ever do cast because it it really gave people in the UK a, a genuine sense of political power, which we don't often feel when we go to the ballot box. And it allowed us to change the nature of our country and, and to, um, to try to restore democratic principles that people in the UK have fought for and died for over hundreds of years. So it it was incredibly important. And when I look at a country like Hungary, and when I speak to Hungarian friends of mine who are just really ticked off with the European Union for the way it treats Hungary. So you talk there about um, the way in which Brussels would um, felt increasingly antagonized with Hungary following uh, the, the victory of, of Viktor Orban. And of course, more recently, um, the European Union has withheld COVID recovery fr- funds from Hungary and Poland because you are disobedient nation states. Um, and y- your current inflation problems, I believe, are at least partly linked to some of the problems you're experiencing as a result of the EU treatment. So the question I have is, what's the discussion like in Hungary about leaving the European Union or or completely separating the nation from the European Union? Is there a point at which Hungarian people's patience will run out with the Brussels oligarchy? Well, I hope not, because um, as it was uh, formulated by Viktor Orban um, in his parliament speech, we are not members of the European Union because what it is right now, uh, but because what it should be. So... What we are looking in the European Union is uh, is our dream. Uh, we are looking for our dreams inside the European Union. Uh, so this is the official position of the Hungarian government. We are very critical on the current uh, issues, but uh, we still think that the situation is uh, is not hopeless. We have to find uh, partners, alliances, and we have to uh, change the track. Because otherwise, the question will be not whether we are leaving or not, but whether the EU will survive or not. Mm. And uh, we want to have a strong and uh, effective uh, European Union in the coming uh, decades as well. The Brexit issue, that's the reason why for us the Brexit issue is very complicated. Because uh, the argumentation, what you just said and what we heard several times, we we understand it and we think that um, Brussels made a serious mistakes that uh, that uh, that it was very hostile uh, against uh, UK and it was very hostile after the Brexit referendum um, against those who were uh, voting in favor of uh, uh, Brexit so 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 Brussels it should be in a different way but it happened, and then, but then the opinion and decision of um, the voters should be uh, respected by Brussels as well. But it's not a coincidence that we were the only European member states. Imagine how funny it is that the sovereignist Viktor Orban's government was the only European country which was openly campaigning during the referendum campaign. Uh, in advertisement in the UK against Brexit, in a sense that we want to convince 
the UK voters not to leave us mm. because the Brexit caused us and many of the Central European countries serious strategic problems because uh, the alliance between UK and Central European countries was very natural. Mm. Together, we were uh, ready to counterbalance uh, the federalistic approaches, which were coming mainly from Germany and uh, France. But since uh, UK left, our life became more and more complicated. Right. And mainly this is the reason, according to our analytics, that uh, uh, the so-called uh, uh, ridiculously biased rule of law procedures mm. emerged against Poland and against us, and they are blackmailing us and they've tried to corner us and so on and so on. If Britain is on was on board, it would not... Uh, happen. I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, but since Britain left, the new power equilibrium is not uh, ready and everybody is looking for uh, new positions. And they uh, right now, the liberals are very strong in Brussels and they want to get over uh, with the conservatives. But um, the zeitgeist is changing. Yeah. Um, uh, mainly because through their own decisions, they are destroying themselves. Mm -hmm. So the Italian election is a big uh, game changer. There will be elections in Spain next year. French politics is also shifting. I hope that Poland will, will also re-elect uh, the conservative government. So I hope that that end the end of the year or in two or three years time, the conservative, the post-Brexit conservative sovereignist forces will be strong enough to counterbalance the federalistic approach of uh, of Brussels. Yeah, well, I'm I'm very sorry if our leaving the European Union caused you troubles, but I still think it was the right thing for us. To do. <laughs> I agree with you. The British perspective is different. I'm yeah. just saying that that the Hungarian perspective is different, but but I accept and and uh, and respect the decision yeah. of the British people. Yeah, I think the um, you, you mentioned Poland there. And uh, just before we move on to the culture war issue, I did want to ask you about Poland um, in relation to Hungary and in relation to the European Union. I thought the um, one of the leaders in Poland made a very good comment about um, Ursula von der Leyen. In the run-up to the Italian election, Ursula von der Leyen was asked what, did she, what would happen if the Italian people stupidly voted for a more populist leader, a more uh, right-wing leader, which they eventually did. And Ursula von der Leyen made that infamous comment where she said, well, the European Union has the tools to deal with those situations as they arise. And Poland uh, made the comment that that was pretty outrageous, you know, the idea that Brussels should be in a position to select who leads a country. I thought that was a, a useful intervention from Poland. But more recently, there has been a fraying of the relationship between Hungary and Poland, hasn't there? I mean, one-time soulmates who now seem to be a little bit torn up over certain issues, Ukraine, for example, and disagreement on Ukraine, disagreement on who bears responsibility for the energy crisis. Is it the European Union? Is it Russia and its war in Ukraine? How serious is the tension between Hungary and Poland? And will that also contribute to the weakening of those centre-right or pro-sovereignist entities in relation to the European Union? Probably yes, uh, because our political opponents, they, they see that uh, we are divided or less mm -hmm. united than we, we used to be. But um, I'm quite optimistic because uh, the Polish-Hungarian friendship, it's a uh, it has a cultural and also an emotional background. It goes back for like 1,000 years. We always knew that uh, geopolitically uh, we see the world in a different way uh, because they are living on a, a eastern, northern European plain surrounded by Germans and Russians and um, the basic pillar of uh, the Polish national uh, strategy is to counter these threats which are caused by uh, the biggest, uh, the bigger player who are surrounding them. Meanwhile, we are far down at the south, surrounded by the Carpathian mountain. We have different challenges and different geopolitical perspectives. So, so we always knew that... Um, 
this is uh, this is something which uh, can cause a problem. But uh, but also historically, uh, the Polish leaders and the Hungarian leaders they they always uh, realize that uh, if they don't want to remain peripheral, but they want to have a strong and uh, and free uh, Central Europe or East Central Europe, uh, then uh, the two big traditional nations should act together and work together. Mm. It was back in the medieval period of time, this was uh, the case. And in modern times, um, I, I would say that this is still the case. The problem if the, in the Ukrainian-Russian conflict was the Polish strategy, because of what I just said, was that they should uh, be actively involved in the war and they should have uh, the Ukrainians uh, to beat the Russians, not just kick out them from from the territory of Ukraine, but beat them, the whole entire political system, weaken them as much as it is uh, possible. Meanwhile, the Hungarian approach was different because uh, according to international law, it's obvious that who is right and who is wrong, but uh, potential risk of escalation and the potential damage which can be caused by the war, it's, it is devastating. Uh, so our position was always that uh, not prolong the war, but put all efforts into creating first ceasefire, then negotiations, and then after uh, peace. So it had a cool down effect in the Polish-Hungarian relations. Uh, but that then turned out that the Brazilian imperialistic um, uh, mindset, it's um, nothing can change it. So even under this pressure, uh, even that... Poland and Hungary is hosting um, the biggest number of refugees who are fleeing from Ukraine mm. and taking a huge burden on that issue. Uh, they wanted to put more pressure on these countries and they suspended the funds uh, in the case of Poland and in the case of Hungary. And then I think finally the Polish political elite also realized that uh, we need to be uh, united against all imperialistic approaches. It doesn't matter whether they are coming from east or west, whether coming from uh, through military threat or political threat. All these challenges are serious mm. uh, challenges and we have to be uh, united. So um, in recent weeks, we had a, a V4 meeting of the presidents in Bratislava. And uh, in the upcoming weeks and months, there will be, according to the plans of V4, uh, meeting of the prime ministers. So we try to recreate uh, the strong daily basis uh, cooperation as well. And it's somehow working or it's proceeding. So that's the reason why I'm more optimistic than I was a couple of months ago. Have you signed up to Spiked's daily newsletter yet? It's called Today on Spiked. Every day you'll get a roundup of all our content plus some exclusive commentary from the Spiked team. So to never miss a thing on Spiked, go to spiked-online.com slash newsletters and sign up to Today on Spiked. Okay, I want to ask you about the culture war issue, which uh, you've already touched on and which is something that I'm very interested in and, and we at Spiked write about culture war issues quite a lot. Um, I want to kick off just by asking you about the referendum that you had in Hungary earlier this year on issues relating to sex and gender, where the public was asked questions about, essentially about protecting minors from exposure to explicit sexual material or information about gender reassignment or uh, the provision of gender changing procedures and so on. It's my understanding that the turnout wasn't sufficient for the referendum to be binding, but I wanted to ask you about the referendum uh, it, itself, because of course, predictably in the Western media, it was presented as further proof of uh, homophobia in modern Hungary. But actually, it, it was about really about raising important questions to do with the incredible confusions and dangers of the new gender ideology, wasn't it? And that's something that there is a huge battle of ideas here in the UK over this question and over the idea that we should be telling young people that you can change sex and you should take certain drugs and you should change your 
lifestyle, according to how you feel in terms of your internal gender. All of those things are having a destructive impact, I think, on young people. And Hungary was trying to raise the question, wasn't it, about those kinds of issues? Yes, indeed. As we were talking about it at the beginning of our conversation, uh, the left started a culture of war um, and they found new battlefields uh, against the left. And, and one of the newest battlefields is, uh, is the gender ideology, wokeism, BLM, cancer culture, critical race theory. And then these kind of issues which are, which are somehow all uh, connected. It's actually, it's a funny thing that, uh, that we don't have a Hungarian word for gender ideology. So we use we use the English word gender. It shows us very clearly how it's a cultural import uh, product. Um, it's not a natural part of Hungarian political discussion. It just came um, somehow from, from the Anglo-Saxon um, countries. But we realized probably around 2020-21 that this is an issue and probably this is the most important uh, newest issue in the cultural ideological um, front and uh, Viktor Orban government, our government was was always um, following a different uh, uh, strategy: how to beat the left than other uh, conservative uh, political movements um, uh, did uh, in the past. Because when the left came up with the newest, craziest ideas like open borders or or then uh, same-sex marriage issues or abortion issues or so on and so on. Then the conservative movements were saying that, look, the majority uh, of the grassroots voters is behind us. So they don't, they didn't want to be involved in this kind of war. So they just let it happen. But the left through media, through academia, through NGOs, they changed the opinion of, of the majority of the society and conservative parties in the United States, in the UK, um, in, in France, in Germany. So in Western European countries, uh, one day they, they woke up and they realized that uh, the, the majority of the society is not anymore behind them, but it's uh, supporting the, the left. So they had to change their policies to adapt to the new circumstances. And that's how these conservative milestones or cornerstones or strongholds were given up by the British conservatives, by the American conservatives, by the German conservatives. Um, but we at the very beginning, we were choosing a, a different strategy. We were saying that, look, uh, the majority is behind us. So we have to be able to explain to the people what is in stake. Mm -hmm. We have to come up with this issue. We have to we have to explain it that this is a hidden agenda uh, which will reach out you and reach out to your children. And if you don't express your opinion right now in a public way, then in, in five years time, 10 years time, 20 years time, you will find yourself in a very different uh, uh, world. So that's why we came up always with the ideas of referendums to ask the people about these important civilizational questions. That's what we did in 2016 in the migration issue. And that's what we did in the gender ideological issue in 2022. And I disagree with you. I think the referendum was a huge success mm. because uh, uh, it's not binding, but the government's opinion was supported by the people with overwhelming majority, mm. like yeah. like 3.6 uh, uh, million people. Never ever this amount of people supported one single idea in a, in a referendum, not even in the EU enlargement issue or in a, not even in the uh, migration issue. Yeah. So what we experienced is that those voters who are probably not in favor of Fidesz and Viktor Orban, they're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of voters, they still agree with the government on that gender issue. Yeah. Um, so it turned out that the Hungarian uh, people are very committed to stand up and, and to fight against these uh, crazy gender ideologies uh, based on the idea of freedom. So what we keep saying is that um, sexual type of orientation 
shouldn't be decided by the state and definitely shouldn't be decided by media or by NGO activists. So it should be the decision for, for children of the parents. And without parents' consent, there cannot be any kind of uh, uh, sexual orientation in schools and in the media. We have to be very uh, cautious and we have to create a safe space really for, for Hungarian children not to be affected by this kind of sexual orientation. If they are grown-up adult people, they can make their own uh, decisions. No one wants to tell them how to live their lives, but until they are uh, minors, the parents' rights and parents' responsibilities cannot be neglected. This is the Hungarian position. And that's why we became extremely punished by by the Brazilian yeah. um, elites, although the whole gender ideology and sexual orientation and education, so all our policies are not common European policies, but uh, but but national policies. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I I agree that referendums, in my view, are always worth holding because they draw the public into a specific issue in a pretty serious grown-up democratic way, uh, which was proven, I think, by by the Brexit vote here, despite what some of the opponents of Brexit might say about our referendum. It was actually an incredibly healthy political discussion. Um, just two more quick questions for you, Balash, before we finish. The first one is um, just on the issue of cultural imperialism, I think, is one way we might describe it and, and how to push back against it. One of the things that I was incredibly struck by over the past couple of years was the behavior of Hungarian football fans who um, <laughs> who booed the taking of the knee, uh, which uh, filled me with a lot of joy because I was happy to see <laughs> people taking a stand against that rather uh, craven gesture, which I've always considered to be a bit of, you know, the taking of the knee as being quite symbolic of the uh, pressure on people to bow down to identity politics, to bow down to the supposedly the correct side in the culture war. It's a very telling gesture. So to see Hungarian football fans booing it and also holding up signs in which they had an image of someone taking the knee and it was crossed out with a red line, that did strike <laughs> me as yeah. quite an interesting little rebellion against cultural imperialism you, you are taking that rebellion against cultural imperialism further and one thing that you in particular have been doing is making connections around the world so it's not just hungary on its own but it's connecting with other groups and organizations and even media outlets and political groups too who share your concerns about the attack on sovereignty and the attack on family values and the uh, general drift into a kind of culture warrior state of mind. Do you, will that con continue to be an important part of your work where you're linking Hungary to others in order that it's not such a lonely battle on your part? Yes, I hope so that the situation will be less hostile for us because we are right now in the, in, in the Western world, uh, we are the only ones. There are the Poles, um, and and right now we have the Italians, but we are a small nation, only 10 million people, neighbors of um, of a country which turned to be a war zone. So we have uh, serious uh, economic challenges. So we need um, supporters and we need uh, alliance inside inside the West as well. Um, I'm very happy that you mentioned uh, the kneeing issue, but I think it's more important, sorry to say that, especially for you, that uh, we could beat uh, Team England two <laughs> times. So uh, it was a more effective uh, team building process, um, uh, probably not taking a knee than taking a knee. Yeah. Uh, but if we finish joking, then, um, then I have to say that this gesture what uh, what what is interesting that this gesture wasn't influenced by politics in Hungary. It's it's it wasn't um, managed by political actors. Mm. That was you know that's mm. the that's the uh, vox populi. So that's that's yeah. how grassroots Hungarian citizens see the world. And and as you mentioned, that's as to as you described it. In a, in a very precise way, they immediately realized that taking a knee, it's not against 
fighting against racial discrimination but but it's 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 somehow accepting a, a kind of a leftist liberal cultural imperialism mm. and we hungarians we don't have anything um to do with it um so so and but but it this this general attitude probably is not a uh, not a well-prepared intellectual argumentation. Grassroots voters and people they just they just feel it. So they 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 simply feel that what is right and what is wrong and what gestures should be followed and which should be uh, rejected. And um, and I think that's um, that's that's our biggest hope in every single country. That still there is a silent majority. Still mm. there is a community of people who are seeing this as a dead end street and they they think that we should turn back as soon as possible and i'm very happy to see that in some countries the conservative forces are turning or if they are not turning to a more conservative and common sense based direction then new parties are emerging and they're getting more and more responsibility uh like the republican party in the states is turning like uh, it we were talking about italy spain and and um, some other countries. So we need more um, right-wing, conservative, classical, liberal, uh, uh, political leaders in power, in power by after winning elections. And if they are in power, if they are in uh, uh, in winning elections, then they can change uh, the pattern um, of the West. And and they refuse the pattern which was suggested by the liberal uh, elites and which can have uh, uh, disastrous consequences of the future of the West. Yeah. Okay. My final question for you is in relation to freedom of speech, press freedom, those kinds of issues. You will be aware that uh, one of the criticisms made in the West um, as part of their general unhealthy obsession with with Hungary is that you have clamped down on press freedom. This is a point that has been made by Reporters Without Borders and, and other people too. And we've talked a bit today about how the media unquestionably plays a role in promoting this cultural imperialism, imperialism in, in promoting this view that there's only one right way to think. And if you don't think that way, you must be racist, you must be transphobic, you must be a fascist. So the media plays a key role in setting that agenda. But I wanted to ask you, how would would you guys strike the balance between recognizing the problematic role that the media elites play while also maintaining media freedom and allowing them to, to do what they want to do? One of the key problems here in the West at the moment is cancel culture, the crushing of opinions that run counter to the uh, the outlook of the establishment. And it's a constant battle to push back against that and defend the uh, open f- public space. Uh, is that something that you're concerned about striking that balance in, in Hungary in relation to being critical of the media while also maintaining freedom of speech in the public sphere? Uh, yes, it's uh, one of our major concerns as well, and um, and believe me or not, but uh, but after twelve years in in power, after <laughs> several times two third majority, we are still we still have to fight uh, for it because the left uh, and and the leftist media thinks that uh, there is media freedom if if uh, if all the media platforms are controlled by them. Yeah. And so, uh, and there's the reason why uh, why in Western countries the conservative political forces are in such a bad shape because uh, 80, 90 percent of the serious uh, media platforms are controlled by the left, and there is no more pluralism of opinions. What we mm-hmm. achieved in in Hungary is that we could convince uh, um, Hungarian uh, private investors. To invest in Hungarian media and um, uh, to to build up um, a, a conservative um, media network as well. So uh, it's true that in Hungary there is conservative media as well, just as liberal media, and the balance is around I would say fifty fifty. Mm. Probably they are taking still taking the lead in in the internet, 
but uh, but but there is a kind of equilibrium or balance, and I think it's a very healthy. Uh, way of thinking and and way of uh, uh, way of democracy. I'm not saying that the Hungarian democracy or Hungarian press, or Hungarian freedom of speech is, uh, is 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 perfect in general. Nothing can be perfect, which is made by humans. But anyway, I think it's 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 in a much better shape than in many Western European countries because if you are Hungarian citizens, you can really experience on a daily basis a huge variety of very different opinions, mm. extremely anti-governmental, uh, quite harsh opinions, and obviously some voices which are more friendly um, uh, to the government or, or to the conservative ideas of the government. And I think this is the way how it should be uh, done. And if it's not the case, if it's if the media in 90% is controlled by only one side then this is a problem of freedom of speech balashorban thank you very much thank you very much indeed Thank you for listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. We'll be back with another guest and more discussion. Don't forget to subscribe. And in the meantime, keep reading Spiked at www.spiked-online.com.